are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Calvary's made up of uh, amazing people, and uh, we're doing a series uh, to really just tell some stories, tell stories of people who you sit with every week in church, and maybe you've heard bits and pieces of their story, but we're digging a little bit deeper into their lives and, and uh, just seeing how uh, God has uh, orchestrated their lives and, and helped them. And tonight we are talking to uh, an amazing man, a pillar of our church, and Bill Gardner is uh, one of a kind, and we are thankful for his ministry. That don't mean that derogatory. I mean, we could say he's a one of a kind, as one we all are. One of a kind. But, uh, Lord threw away the mold. That's right. He threw away the mold, <laughs> and uh, he uh, currently serves as a ministry leader for our ushers. Um, he turned 70 years old on Monday. Isn't that amazing? Happy birthday, Brother Bill. And uh, today is Veterans Day, and that was uh, why I wanted to talk to him tonight, uh, especially he is a veteran uh, and a Purple Heart recipient, uh, and we're going to dis- discuss that a little bit more in depth in a moment, but I would like to tell Bill and the rest of our military how thankful we are as a congregation for uh, your service to our country. Can we appreciate our, our military tonight? All right, Brother Bill, you're on the hot seat for the next little while, and um, we're going we're gonna to start, start slow, Ooh. and then we'll pick up the pace. Uh-huh. But um, let's start with where did you grow up, born and raised? Hamilton, Ohio. All right. All my life, except three years military. Okay. So. Hamilton, Ohio. You went to the high school there? And uh, the... One year. All right. One year high school. All right. Elementary. What was yeah. it like uh, when you were growing up there in Hamilton? What was it like? Mm-hmm. Pre, uh, that was pretty good. I mean, it was like in, uh, I was born 50, so... Uh, in the 60s, it was pretty much uh, a uh, neighborhood we we grew up in. We had a bunch of uh, young uh, guys my age that we would we would play so, uh, baseball at the neighborhood park uh, all summer long. If my parents ever wanted to go find me, that's where they found me. We were always playing ball, uh, doing things in the park and everything. Uh, it was a great time. I mean, at that time, uh, growing up, you just guys tried to find different things to do. Uh, what, what did you enjoy most about your childhood? Uh, uh, like going to grandparents' house down in Kentucky. I, I loved Kentucky. Uh, that was the grandparents on my mother's side. And uh, just down in London, Kentucky, Laurel County, and it was just back in the woods and everything. It had fun with my uncles, my grandpa. I, I just remember my grandpa. He was a he was a praying man. And uh, when my uncles and when we'd visit anyone who would be in our grandparents' home, 
And morning, noon, and evening, my grandpa would get up to pray. And it wasn't quiet prayers, it was loud prayers. He believed, and they were long prayers too, because he prayed for everybody. And it was like, if you did not want to be a captive audience, you made your way to the door quietly and got out. But I just remember that about him, and it was, uh, as I grew older, I just loved to be on the front porch mm. with him and just, uh, just to be around him. Yeah. Uh, those times, and, when, and then, like I said, being with my uncles down there, those were the best vacations, just down to Kentucky. And You ever remember getting in trouble as a kid? Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and yeah, just the the the, the usual stuff. Just the getting, usual stuff. you know, you're 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 going to get your me. usual stuff might be different than other people's uh, usual stuff. Uh, so uh, yeah, I guess the uh, the probably the most one the thing I got I remember most of got in trouble is the time I stole two dollars from my mother. Mm. Mm. Well, you yeah, know, I'm, not, I'm sneaking yeah, around the that's, house, that's not you know. usual stuff, Brother Bill. And I see, and I see two dollars sticking out of a vase. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, the popsicle man. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm the guy on the block, man. I I can buy everybody, all my friends, ice cream and everything for two dollars. So for two dollars, yeah. yeah. Back then, yeah. <laughs> remember, I'm 70 years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you can get a popsicle for cheap. So. Uh, I thought, man, I was on cloud nine until I got home. Mm. And my dad was meeting me at the door, and mm. he said, uh, I need to talk to you. And I knew I've been had. <laughs> well, my dad sat me on his lap and talked to me about the virtue of why the Lord didn't like me to steal, and then why my mother, I hurt my mother. And that was killing me then. It was like that. And then, of course, the spanking came, and it was like, this is going to hurt me more than you. Mm-hmm. And no, it didn't. <laughs> uh, I think it was the worst whipping that I got because of that explaining why it was wrong to steal. Yeah. And I think that stayed with me. Sure, yeah. Learned a little my, from that. I, I wouldn't even take a penny off the post office floor. <laughs> That's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no that doubt. childhood. And yeah. Was really what was time. the most uh, difficult uh, part of your childhood? Mm, well, you're, you're going to hit the point now. Uh, I came home from school. I was nine years old. I came home from school and my dad met me at the, in the yard and said my mother was involved in a car accident and he had to go to the hospital to, to see how she was. And I was to stay with some friends of ours in the neighborhood that was connected to our family. And uh, so that night, uh, um, we were raised in Church of God, so in Sunday school I was always taught God answers prayer. And I thought, okay. So I kind of got down on my, in the basement on the couch, and I just broke down, and I prayed that 
God would bring my mom home. And uh, the next day she died. And uh, so that was the, 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 I guess, for a nine-year-old boy uh, who knew my mother, if you had, if you had known my mother, she was oh, a treasure. Mm. So that was the most difficult part, and then to, to navigate all that through yeah. into the next part of my life. Did you have siblings? Uh, two sisters, a younger and an older sister. Two, two older sisters. Yeah, so Marie was one. An experience like that, um, how did that, how do you feel like it, it translated into your teenage years and ultimately uh, your life? I battled a, a trust in God very much. And, it, and, it, and I have to say, at 70 years old, the devil can use that because at 70 years old, I still battle. Mm. I don't think the devil ever lets, lets go of uh, things in your life that he can try to throw in your face anymore. But in teenage years, I developed a bitterness and a, a stubbornness that, God, you didn't do it. I believed you. I believed what that Sunday school teacher told me. I took you at your word. Mm. Now, to navigate that my dad came home a year later, I think it was probably about a year later, with a woman. And he said, this is your mother. I don't think any counselor today would have said that would have been the better, best way to... As I got older, my, I understand my dad and I understand why my dad did that. Uh, but I was older then. <clears throat> I was 10 years old when this woman comes through the door and this is your mother. And I had to navigate that. She wasn't my mother. I remember a loving mother who would, when I would skin my knees, come running in, she would be on a, She'd get me on a rocker and rock me, sing to me. All my pain went away. The stepmother was authoritative. When Sister Kristen, and that hit home, when Sister Kristen had those lessons on uh, the mental health and everything and what you go through, I had to navigate that. Because, uh, you know, it was, you go from loving and, and, and compassion mm. and, and grace to authoritative doctrine. You know, well, you do it this way. And I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't navigate that. And so the bitterness and, and, the, the, and the fight in me as in going into those years 
after that. Yeah, so that leads you through high school. I mean, it, obviously, time is going, and you're dealing with that, and you get into high school. Uh, what was that like at that at point? Had you walked away from God completely? Were you still going to church, or what was that like? Oh, well, we went to church. And I have to say that the good thing that came out of that, like I said, we were, born, we were raised in the Church of God before they became Princeton Pike. It was 7th Chestnut Street Church of God. Uh, I remember my mother, now, that side, we would go, she would love God, and she would go with the pastor and the pastor's wife to revivals, and she would take me along with her. And I remember them talking about God, talking about the Lord, and they would get so excited, and they would start speaking in tongues and just praising God. And I remember the pastor, he would put his hands up off the wheel of the car, and I'm back here. If, but that time I pray and I said, Lord, he ain't got his hands on the wheel. <laughs> so you, you go on the other side of that, when I lose my mother, I remember that. But yes, we come into this truth. And I love the truth. I believe this truth. I'm glad we did. I'm, uh, but I don't know why this woman, the difficulty, and after that, it was just like the bitterness. I loved basketball, and I was, I had this dream one time of playing basketball for the University of Kentucky, because my uncles, you know, all in Kentucky. And when I said that to her one time, she looked at me and said, you're too stupid to go to college. Mm. So my dad wondered why I threw the basketball away and hung with the, the guys that would break in cars up, at, up in Oxford, Ohio. And that spiraled out of control until one day that I found my way of escape from that home. And, and kind of walk us through that escape. Well, it was, uh, I went to my dad one day, and I'd already been to the uh, Army recruiter, and I was just starting high school. And it was just like I just, I couldn't get it anymore. It just wasn't there anymore, school. And it's like a... Uh, home life and so I, w I went and I, I walked by these this recruiting office so I went inside and I, 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 I went into the Navy recruiter and said uh, I'd like to join the Navy well uh, go home and uh, you got to get your parents permission and I said no I walked across the hall to the army recruiter, I said, I'd like to join the army. Do I have to have my parents' permission? I just turned 18. I said, now, do I have to get their permission? No, you can sign the paper right now. Okay, mm. sign the papers. I thought, yeah. So I went home, walked by, 
walked to my dad and I said, uh, you know, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to go down to Kentucky and live with my sister and brother-in-law and go to finish school down there. Well, I know your, your brother and sister, well, you're, you, they don't want you down there. They, you, you know, that, I said, yeah, you may be right. I said, I joined the army today. And uh, my dad's expression on his face is like, well, what did you do that for? Because here we are in the 67, 68. My dad, when he watched news, uh, he, we watched uh, Walter Conkright. He was the big news media back those days. And uh, every Friday he would uh, announce that uh, in Vietnam this week, 235 men have died in Vietnam. 255, 270, 230. You know, so it was always all these weeks, 200 and some uh, soldiers were killed in Vietnam. And so when my dad kind of realized that, he says, what'd you do that for? Because they're going to send you to Nam and you could get killed there. I said, well, Dad, I said, if that's where I'm going to die, I guess that's where I die. Yeah? I said, but I'm going to go out and live. The bitterness in me wanted to see pain in his eyes. Mm. Part of my dad died when my mother died. And I understand that. Because he used to be a good disciplinary man. But he didn't do that. He never went to my ball games. He never did go to anything a function. And I resented that. The bitterness. And so when I went to the army, that was going to be my family. I thought about being a career military just stay that uh, so I I left for the military I quit school and I finished my GED in the military so that was a plus so you you end up in Vietnam uh, what is your role there what are you doing there well I went to basic training and then I went to advanced training they, they the advanced training was a medic and uh, so they put you in, in medical uh, after you graduate from that class. It's like you could probably be anything, hospital, hospital duty, anything. Uh, my first duty station was Fort Rucker, Alabama, and I worked in a pediatric ward and clinic taking care of babies. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, didn't that was work, fun. Didn't you work in the nursery here at the church? <laughs> Well, I, I could have, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I had experience uh, on the resume. That's right. But uh, so that, yeah, that was... We're hiring uh, at the daycare, by huh? the way. We're hiring <laughs> at the daycare. Good. Just throwing that yeah. in. <laughs> All right. <Wow. clears throat> but uh, yeah, that was a trip. So uh, then I got my orders after six months uh, to report to Fort Dix, New Jersey for uh, Vietnam. It didn't hit me. I mean, it was like, well, I guess here it goes. I did. I guess I'm going to end up in Vietnam, uh, and 
I, I, I wasn't really scared. I wasn't really worried. It just It was just, I guess I was numb to it. I thought, all right, here you go. Whatever they're going to do with me over there. Yeah. <clears throat> was the environment, you talked about your dad and, you know, that element outside of your dad, your friends, um, even the community at large was, uh, was it, were they supportive? Were people supportive of you? Or did you feel the, the any uh, pressure by going to Vietnam? Mm, there was nobody supportive of it. Uh, it just, uh, I made the decision. Uh, that was my way of escape from my home. Uh, I was just going to live my life the way I wanted to live it. I was going to find what, you know, about life. And uh, uh, I wasn't really afraid to die. Uh, uh, so. Yeah. So obviously we mentioned you have a purple heart and uh, kind of can you talk about that or what what kind of led to that? Well, I, I don't glorify, you know, war or anything like that. I mean, it's like I chose the military. And uh, so when I, I arrived in Vietnam, I uh, uh, went through the uh, units to before I got up to my assigned unit. Uh, I was down by Saigon in a personnel office getting assigned. I went all, all the way up north in the northern part of Vietnam. Uh, I was attached to uh, the 196th Light Infantry Brigade as a line medic in an infantry outfit. Uh, so when I first got there, I met a, met a young man uh, about my age, and uh, his name was Glenn Knobloch. And uh, we got, we got a, started a friendship uh, there in the uh, combat center before we got assigned to the unit out. In the, and uh, <clears throat> he convinced me, he said, hey, Doc, uh, come to recon unit. We're a small unit. Uh, so I asked the battalion surgeon if I could be signed to a recon unit, and that's where I was signed. And so we just, you know, it was like I was there about a, a month, and uh, well, I was there about two weeks, and we were coming through a trail and everything, and uh, that's when we got a, our first firefight, firefight when the Viet Cong was setting up a ambush for you. And so Vietnam, it, you learned it was like, you did, there was no front line uh, to that thing. You, you, you could walk hours and pound hours and you run into three, uh, three, it was search and destroys, it was search and searching people out, you know, and you'd run into them. And then when, when the North Vietnamese wanted to mess around with you, then they come into your valley and your area of operation and mess with you. So I was there two weeks and 
I earned my uh, combat medical badge. It's the equivalent of a, a uh, combat infantry badge, where if you're infantry, 911 Bravo, uh, that's what you are awarded for being under fire in a combat situation. Mine was a combat medical badge since I was a combat medic. My job was to keep somebody alive as best possible and get them on a chopper or something and get them back to the doctor, the hospitals. And so here I am a 19-year-old, 18-year-old, I'm sorry, with a responsibility of trying to keep somebody alive. <clears throat> well, you know, the training kicks in uh, as much as possible. Uh, I was there, then I was there a month when uh, we woke up at about three o'clock in the morning and off to the distance we were seeing a, a fire support base. Fire support bases were little bases on top of a hill someplace with artillery cannons that would supply uh, artillery fire for infantries who needed direct fire. And uh, so we saw that base getting hit early in the morning uh, and attacked. And so when we, Glenn Knobloch and I got up, we, we pitched our tent when we could uh, together. And uh, we, we looked at each other and said, we have to be careful today. And uh, so when morning came, when we broke camp, we broke our night defensive uh, position. Uh, Glenn Knobloch walked point. He was the front man. And uh, uh, I usually, I'm probably about 10 people back, right pretty much in the middle. And we were a small unit, recon unit, which at that time we were about 20 five guys right now, uh, like a platoon size. We could break up smaller. That's usually what we had, 25 guys. So I'm 10 people back. So when we're walking off this hill, walking over to the next hill, uh, somebody looks over to the hill that we just came off of, and there's some North Vietnamese with mortar, mortar tubes walking on that hill to set up mortars. So we all had a mad minute, mad minute as we go there and have our M16s, we're firing, we're firing our, our, our guns, rifles into that area. Uh, and then we call uh, uh, jets, Air Force in, and they, they took out that threat. Well, on top of the hill was snipers keeping us down. And uh, so in the, in the mix of that, it, we were pinned down for seven hours in the, all that day. Uh, and towards the end of it, uh, 
I had to go up, and I, halfway up, I picked Glenn Knobloch's body up and put, took it back down. And then uh, I was taking his body, and, and we were going up the hill again to get ready for chopper extraction, helicopter extraction. And that's when a grenade went off to my left, and uh, I got a shrapnel wound in the le or elbow and in the back a little bit. Uh, you know, just to think about, you know, Glenn Knobloch, I saw him that morning and talked with him, you know. And here I am taking his personal stuff out of his pockets and bagging him up and getting him ready to, to go back on the helicopter. And reality started hitting home that after that I didn't I didn't make I didn't didn't want to make too many friends then. You know, you didn't want to get real connected with someone. And that was a big 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 development in my life that friendship you didn't want to because you may lose them. You know, when they when they explained that stuff over there, you know, so your life expectancy in Vietnam right now is seven minutes. Because you just never knew. So you you here you just learn it's like well, I made it through one more day. I slept. Well, what's this day gonna hold? I I this could be my last day. Yeah. And you learn that you that's what you learn. But uh I mean, uh, so there was other things, and, and then when I finally got out of the field, and it's like, uh, uh, I just... When, when you got hit with the shrapnel and all of that, were you, did you get sent back uh, into yeah. the war after you recovered from that? Yeah, I uh, got sent, I got, well, I got on the same chopper as, you know, about four of us got wounded that day, and of course... Glenn Knobloch were killed, was killed. So I, w I went back to uh, the 91st EVAC hospital in Chulai. That was our division area. And that was where the secure hospitals pretty much uh, were. And they, they cleaned the wound out and wrapped it up. And I went to our uh, uh, brigade headquarters just to recuperate. And uh, while I was there, uh, my wound got infected. So then I spent 12 days in the hospital of fighting. Because a lot of stuff over there, it's like if, if it gets any dirt in it, it's like, or whatever. Uh, infection was really rampant. It, you had to keep things clean. So uh, after I came back, I didn't go back to recon. I went back to a, a line company, Charlie Company, which is about 100, 120 men, 130. Yeah, so obviously there's a lot there um, for you. And again, just reiterating our thank you for serving uh, and uh, paying such a high price for it. After you finish in the military, um, kind of talk through that transition, coming home and then what, what kind of 
is after that? Well, I came home after 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 Vietnam. I went straight to Germany after a ten day leave, and when I came home, I got married, and started to church a little bit. Uh, and there again, you know, I started church. I started going to church. It wasn't really, I, you know, and I, uh, I'm trying to be, you know, okay. Still battling those things in life. Trust. And uh, so I come home and get piddly jobs and like unsatisfied and I started battling some issues, and uh, uh, I know the first trip down to the VA hospital, uh, they just told me to go home and live with things. Mm. And uh, I said, okay. I, I swore I'd never go back to VA hospital again. And uh, uh, so I, 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 started, I started drinking. I started... Uh, alcohol, real bad, and uh, battled that. Uh, I got on the post office and still drank, <laughs> but, uh, but my marriage fell apart there uh, because of my drinking. And uh, I wondered around. Yeah, so you you did you have kids? Yes, I had uh, three children through the marriage, two boys and a girl. And uh, so then you're working at the post office. And uh, what year would that have been? You, when did you start? I started the post office in September of 1973. Okay, 73. So what was what was it about the post office that drew you in? Uh, well, uh, the jobs that I had was, uh, the first job was a second shift job, and it was just like, I knew that I was never going to make a career of this. The second job was Champion Paper Company, and I thought, I got to get out of here, because it was a swing shift. You can never get used to one shift, and I thought... You know, the layoffs and everything. So the post office, I'd had it already, uh, uh, my application in the post office coming back. And uh, so when they called up and said, hey, uh, we got an opening. Uh, would you like to come in and talk with us about coming to the post office? And I thought, never a layoff in the history of the post office. <laughs> it's all day job. Yeah, I'm going to have a 10 cent pay cut, an hour pay cut. I'll make that up in a year or, or less. I'll be there Monday morning. All right. So and what was I your started role? my career. What was your role with the post office? By a letter carrier. Letter. letter carrier. I wanted to outside, you know, get away from management and just outside, you know. Were you driving or were you walking? Oh, I walked. First, first, you, no, you had to do your dues when you first start there. <laughs> It was like, 
my first route was is up up 30 steps down 30 steps to the next house up 30 steps mm -hmm. down 30 steps next next out or 30 steps down 30 steps do you know how much you walked a day or? oh i don't i no. that back then you didn't have the counters okay <laughs> but i knew my legs my legs were pretty pretty sturdy yeah. <laughs> muscular yes any funny moments from that anything you remember from the post well, i got i bit three times in my first year <laughs> by dogs and so i thought nah i don't like bit, getting bit so uh, i'll never trust anybody i'll look in yards so for 36 years after that, I had never got another bite. <laughs> close. Okay. But not another one. Very close. Now, <laughs> rumor has it that people didn't know you by the name Bill Gardner at the post office. Oh, gosh, yes. What, what, what did they know you as? Julio. <laughs> 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 and what's what's the backstory on that one? Oh gosh. <laughs> well, Willie Nelson and Julio Iglesias put out a song one year to all the girls I loved before. <laughs> so it was like I'd turn around, but it's like do and I, now this is you know I I wasn't in church. Yeah, don't, you're gonna I'm go doing, I'm doing a Greg Meadows, BC, BC. <laughs> it was like, you know, and this was a good outlet, you know, that you know the drinking, but but having fun. I mean, I just like, I didn't take anything serious. So anyway, Julio Iglesias came, so he had the moves that do all the girls I love before. I traveled in it at my door. I'm a glad the game along. I did the kitty song to all the girls I love before. <laughs> so Danny Biondo at the post office, he says, Julio, that's a good name for you. So <laughs> one year, Mick, <laughs> she got me a, a, a belt. <laughs> That had Julio on the back of it. Nice. You gonna wear it to church? <laughs> it's it's wore out. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, but no, I. Uh, then I went to the. Uh, they called it a gong show. <laughs> but it was a talent. It was it was a karaoke night. So, so I said I'm gonna I'm gonna join in there. <laughs> so. <laughs> I uh, I went up to the band. I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 going to put my name down to to do this." So uh, I got up to sing my song and everything, and it was I did a Merle Haggard tune, "Sing Me Back Home." <laughs> sing me back home, the song I used to hear. Take my old memories, come along. Oh, I got the standing, you know. So then this lady got up, and she was a well-endowed lady, pretty plump, you know. Check and all of a sudden, she belts out the song, I'm a woman. And it was like, I've just lost this thing. <laughs> 
She was good. I mean, she fell out that song. So I came in third place. All right. Well, that's good. A ball, uh, a ball hat, T-shirt, all right. $10. All right, $10. There was only three people that did it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, there was more, there was more people than that. <laughs> there was more people than that. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, we'll... we'll Start to wrap this up, but oh, good. Good. Uh, don't want to <laughs> no. get too deep in that vault. But <laughs> when did you start coming to Calvary? December second, nineteen ninety. Okay, that'd be thirty years. December second. Uh, what happened and what nav- what navigated that trip t- back to to Calvary? I thought I, I you know I'm I'm sitting here, I'm trying to have fun. I'm doing this and doing that. And, and still there's something inside me and I'm, I'm sitting at a bar and the mirror in the back of the bar. Okay. So there for a reason. And, and I'm drinking and I'm looking at this guy in this mirror and I'm saying, I'm seeing an unhappy guy. I really am. I'm seeing this guy that's hurting inside his facial expression. And it's like, and, you know, I tell people this. They have to look at me like I'm crazy. But I believe that there was a voice that almost was beside me that says, you know where you can find me. And that, I can't say that the next week I, I, I came to church, but it started something. And Mark Crumpack started, uh, I, when I came down to Fairfield Post Office, I started down there at a route. And I met Mark Crumpack. And uh, every, a lot of people know Rudy Crumpack. And the and the Crumpack family, and I started talking to Mark one day and told him about uh, Nathaniel Ayers and hearing him on Harvest Time years ago, and he brought me some tapes that Brother Urshan preached at an Ohio conference. It was in Cincinnati. I forget what year it was. He brought me a couple of those tapes, and I started listening to them. And it's like, Lord, if I could ever feel like that again. I got hungry again. You know, and, and it's like, you know, it's like that, that the devil sitting there saying, well, all you've done in your life, he's not going to take you back. He'll never accept you. But I, I convinced myself, I said, well, you know, all I got is one try here. I got to find out. So I came on a Sunday night and uh, I just felt like, you know, I was sitting in the way in back over in Kemper Road and way in the back, and I decided I'm going to go up to the altar. And, you know, if, you, you know, if the Lord will take me back. And uh, no sooner than I uh, got to the front, I just broke out speaking in tongues again wow. and, and just being roof. And... Uh, uh, from there, you know, it just <laughs> went home. I was so feeling so light, like cloud nine, man. It's like, yes. 
This is what I long for. Hmm. And uh, so that was December 2nd, 1990. I mean, have I had battles? Yeah. You know, the current wife, she saw this and got scared and divorced me. Uh, so I, I went, Lord, I'm still here. I said, Lord, if you want me to single, that's. I'll serve you single, and, but I wasn't going to go anywhere, and, and I battled it, and I stayed in. I stayed at Calvary, and I'm glad I did because uh, I, as Greg said last week, the French friendly church. I was accepted here. I was loved here. I started to be uh, taught here. And I started growing roots. And the, the deeper the roots started growing, more determined, uh, I was going to make it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we're glad you did. Are we glad that? Appreciate Brother Bill. And you met Mickey here, right? Mm. All right. <laughs> no one. We don't, we don't have time to dive into that whole story, but <laughs> I, uh, I know that uh, you both are just an incredible testimony in our church, and I appreciate so much you sharing it. Is there anything, one, anything else you'd like to say to new believers or about Mickey? Well, or she's, about she's the best thing that ever happened to me, humanly, humanly positive. Teaser because she's an she's an army brat. She was born at Fort Sills, Oklahoma, and maybe it took an army brat to handle to handle this man here. So, Sweet. So, I believe God gave her to me. Came together for a purpose. Amen. So sweet. Well. We're out of time, but Good. I would know one final thing. How many would like to hear Brother Bill sing tonight? Yeah. All right, so it can be Merle Haggard or whoever you want. <laughs> you need to stand, you can stand. Are you going to stand or are you going to sit and sing? Sit? Okay, well, sit down then. I just.
podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.